0: Welcome to the third podcast episode in season three of the European Wound Management Association podcast. This season is devoted to reflecting on the last 30 years of humour and how wound management has changed in that period since the foundation of the association. We'll be exploring how the COVID-19 pandemic has changed wound management across Europe My name is Samantha Holloway, I'm a Reader and Programme Director in the Centre for Medical Education, School of Medicine, based at the College of Life and Biomedical Sciences at Cardiff University in the UK. I'm also the Chair of the Education Committee and Teacher Network of UMA. In this podcast episode, we'll be discussing what effects the COVID-19 crisis has had on wound management across Europe. In this third episode, I'm very pleased to welcome Professor Alberto Piagesi and Professor Christine Moffat. Professor Piagesi is the immediate past president of UMA and director of the diabetic foot section of the Pisa University Hospital, Department of Endocrinology and Metabolism. Professor Christine Moffat is a professor of clinical nursing research at the University of Nottingham School of Healthcare Sciences. Welcome to both of you.
1: Thank you.
2: Thank you very much.
0: So, um, starting with the first question, um, the last two years have been characterized by a healthcare system in a state of emergency in varying degrees across Europe, as well as disruption of society in general across the world. This has also had an impact on wound management. So I'd like to ask you both, from your point of view, what has been the greatest impact during the pandemic in your countries and or across Europe so Alberto would you like to start
1: yes thank you and indeed we we had uh, we had terrible times uh, during this uh, period typically to both uh, general aspects and uh, aspects more close to our specialties not only because of the of the sudden and unexpected uh, rise in uh, the disease but also because of the long length of duration of the, the crisis in its development. We faced uh, three different waves of uh, uprising in the pandemic and partially also a fourth one nowadays. And uh, this stressed very much, at least in my country, the um, health service system throughout the, throughout the country. What uh, has been uh, um, the experience from um, my personal, but I would say um, a specialistic point of view, is that because of this, um, the majority of non-acute, uh, non-COVID patients were also suffering for for a sort of delay and... and uh, um stopping of uh, um, follow-up and uh, clinical activities in uh, most 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 of the, the the specialties interested except maybe oncology and uh, um, and critical uh, uh, emergencies uh, this is something that also um, puts uh, a, a challenge in uh, in the way we, face this uh, um, the organization of our work since the majority of uh, the units were in a way changed to cope with the pandemic with the personal uh, transfer from these units to uh, covid management with uh, rotation on uh, before assistance and then follow-up and then when vaccines were available to vaccination So we were, um, in a way, forced to uh, twist our organization and uh, to change our habits and our duties to uh, cope with the emergency situation. Uh, Probably this would uh, be beneficial in the future for being more, I would say, ready to uh, respond to uh, possible new emergencies. But really, it was an experience like uh, uh, we would be uh, we would be struck by a catastrophe. Like, you know, when there is a, an earthquake or a, a, a flood in which uh, all is uh, uh, involved and destroyed and the services are diverted, are reorganized toward this. And the experience was uh, really, really very, very stressful from a, a, a number of, of different point of views
0: okay thank you and then christine the same for you we're talking about the greatest pan- impact during the pandemic um so based in the uk what were your thoughts
2: oh thank you sam and and i completely agree with what alberto has, has just said um it's been so very difficult on on so many levels um i think the the constant level of high anxiety is one of the things that is is the unknown, the uncertainty all the time. It means that if you take healthcare staff, they're just exhausted. And so we are on crisis. We have a saying, it's called OPAL, which means that basically nobody in our hospital is moving out. There is no way of discharge. There are no beds. Ambulances are full up outside. There is no way to discharge. So that constant level of a very high level of stress is, is has been awful. I think we we've had as well. If you look at kind of wound care services, people in in different areas of the country having to react in very different ways, Uh, and it's it's sometimes been it's been it's been very (laughs) interesting, challenging to understand why some services for wound care have completely closed and been forced to have no patients or just being virtual to some services struggling to keep going and 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 that i think reflects the difficulties of 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 the local uh, interpretation of covid so it's been really really hard and uh in a way i think one of the hardest things as well is to see hospitals on one part of them like intensive care is overwhelmed and other parts of hospitals almost half full because we've had to um divert staff and the diversion of staff is is really really hard so Everybody is standing alert to be called in at any point in time and diverted to somewhere where, frankly, they're often not, not necessarily skilled. And um, I think that the situation for patients with wounds is, is sort of is, is very complex and very polarized because I think um, I've seen this real change in working in an acute hospital and also working in Denmark in an acute hospital where the patients we're seeing with COVID. The kind of wound situations they see are completely different. I mean, the edema they're getting, the horrendous pressure ulceration because they're being nursed in the prone position, things we're just having to grapple with and understand. So the wounds associated with the very, very sick patients. And I give you an example of pressure ulcers where turning is seen to be critical and actually being in, in working in intensive care where you know you cannot turn a patient because they will die because they're a respiratory function. So then you have huge peaks in incidents of pressure ulcers and people are saying, well, you have this and, and it's it's not because of care being lacking. But of course, it's also in some cases it is because actually we haven't got enough staff. Mm. So there's, there's the I think the, the dilemma of the wound types that we're seeing of COVID patients and then there's the terrible reality of what's happening to patients with wounds. And I think there's definitely some positive signs. I think the virtual clinics can be fantastic, but it's not for everybody. And, um, you know, elderly patients trying to run Zoom calls with an elderly patient who cannot connect. It just does not work. So we have that and that awful sense of isolation. But for some, it's worked really well. So we seem to have this sort of polarized thing where some people have done really well, adopted self-management and others who we're seeing coming in with grade four pressures as infected, necrotizing, fasciitis, sometimes where there's been a fear of coming to hospital. And so, you know, so it's and actually development programs for wound care have just stopped (laughs) because how can you do uh, anything in this area where everything is about COVID?
0: Yeah, it's a really, some really good points there, Christine. And I think, you know, it's been a huge learning curve for everybody, You know, we've heard the word unprecedented a number of times, but it is unprecedented. And I think, you know, there is a lot to be learned. Um, So, Alberto, you mentioned having to respond to the pandemic and make changes in your service because of COVID-19. Do you think some of the changes you had to make will be maintained? And could these actually constitute potential improvements of care moving forwards?
1: Yeah, this is. Uh, you're right, Sam. This is. Uh, 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 this has been a, an hard lesson to be learned, but something uh, will surely uh, be staying for 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 the future. And um, especially, I think uh, most of people uh, are referring to telemedicine. This is the most evident aspect, and I agree with uh, Sama with uh, sorry, Christine, that. Uh, uh, this is something that uh, is not for all people. Nevertheless, uh, um, it, it has been of great help in, uh, in maintaining and, and following patients that otherwise <coughs> could be uh, completely uh, casted away. But uh, from my point of view, there are other aspects that uh, for sure uh, will be um, of help in, uh, uh, for the future, one of these uh, of this aspect is the possibility and the ability of uh, being flexible in order to uh, cope with different organisational um, um, tasks. Um, I can uh, refer to one of uh, these uh, uh, for all the um, necessity of. Uh, uh, Taking care of both COVID and non-COVID patients with different problems inside the hospital, uh, with the consultations and and um, uh, care for uh, admitted patients uh, with chronic lesions of different uh, um, different nature. In and in our case, most of them had the critical diabetic foot lesions, but uh, these. Uh, um, um, I would say oblige us to elaborate new new protocols new uh, more stringent uh, procedural um, algorithm in order to be in the same time effective and uh, safe both for the patients and for ourselves another uh, another aspect that will be staying for the future is the uh, prevention uh, measures that we put in place in order to uh, as much as possible avoid cross-contaminations. And this was true uh, for COVID, but uh, had uh, and is having also a positive, uh, uh, I would say, fallout also on uh, the other um, infective uh, uh, diseases that affect our patient. Our <coughs> just to mention our microbiological alerts for multi-drug resistance bacteria fall by 75 percent only due to the application of preventative measures more stringent preventative measure related to covid uh, pandemic a- another um, a- another um, i would say um, um, input that we had from uh, from the from the um, uh, pandemic experience is the uh, dilation, dilatation of, uh, of the time uh, allocated for each uh, visit, for each consultation, for each visit. Um, before, in my place, we used to see uh, average 50 visits a day, plus urgencies. Uh, now, because of social distancing and the necessity of... Uh, Um, inter uh, visit uh, uh, I would say period we reduced uh, uh, by half um, uh, roughly 30 visits plus urgencies per day and this of course created some problems in reorganizing the the activities but uh, also gave us much more time for each patient and this really was beneficial considering that the majority of our patients are, have complex problems, that sometimes when you see uh, them, when you have 20 minutes to, to each patient instead, that's uh, uh, 45 as we have now, uh, m- may create problems in terms of, I would say, uh, getting the complexity of the cases. So I think that more, more these aspects will be, will be staying for the future uh, will be, I would say, integrated in our in our practice compared to uh, uh, other more evidence. Uh,
0: thank you, Alberto. So, Christine, if I can come to you, uh, do you think that some of the changes in care caused by the COVID-19 pandemic will be maintained? And could these also constitute potential improvements of care moving forwards?
2: Thank you, Sam. And thank you, Alberto. Uh, I agree as well a lot with what Alberto said. Um, Definitely there have been some good things and I think it's made everybody really look at their time management, what they're really doing and thinking about resources. So I think there's a lot of very good things that have emerged from that. I think um, some of wound care has been a bit paternalistic in the past. Uh, I I guess not so much in diabetic, because obviously people are encouraged to self-manage, but a lot of wounds, um, it's very driven by clinicians doing all the care. And I think there's a good side of actually helping people to understand how to self-manage. So I think that's very important. Um, And I think the fact that scrutiny is very important. The downside, I think, is the fact that the prioritization is on COVID and not anything else. And the difficulty we always have had is wounds are not popular anyway. So my fear is that they're going to be pushed further and further out. Um, But I think we have to now be... People are much more critical and are realising that there's a lot of time wasted on travel and things that we can do more effectively with, with virtual services and telemedicine, definitely. And very simple, but perhaps, I mean, getting ethical approval for studies... Used to be take forever, and now with COVID, you can turn it round in twenty four hours. But the caveat is only if you have a COVID related study. So I think there's some really good things that have happened. Um, I think um, I think there's there's been I would say a, a system level a camaraderie, a sense of people helping each other and supporting each other, which perhaps has been really I felt really really good helping and supporting each other through things. Um, but of course, there are also many downsides around. I think that perhaps some of the things of COVID will not emerge for many years as to what's really happening, and what it has reinforced for me as a, a, in my role is the importance that we need really robust data systems when you are put into lockdown, and we don't have it in the UK. So that's 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 been a good thing. It's an impetus for change, um, but yeah, but I think we are all a bit teamsed out, and we're all a bit you know, looking forward to being able to see each other as well. And I know patients, some patients really struggling with a lack of contact and the loneliness. And I think the mental health, the health quality of life impact is is very profound.
0: Yeah, thank you, Christine. Perhaps I could just ask you both a follow-up question. Um, Alberta, you mentioned self-care and you mentioned also self-management, Christine. So if if I come to you first, Christine, when you're talking to patients about self-management, you know, what's your approach, and what would your advice be to some of our listeners about how to have that conversation, just so it doesn't seem that you're just trying to pass on care to patients?
2: I, I think it's it, to be honest, Sam. It's very complex. I would say we haven't done enough work in wound care to define who can self-manage, what we even mean by that, and and certainly when I think about it, I am trying to understand the whole patient. I mean, not I mean, uh, their home situation, their social support. Um, their their knowledge of their condition and the reality of what they're being asked to do. So because for me, self-management, I mean, I, I always talk about the word supported self-management because the fear is that actually then it becomes, you know, self-management can just be a quick, cheap option. So I think understanding the patient, understanding what they want, trying to be realistic uh, about where they want to go. And in a way, it's not particularly a different way than I've always practised. But it isn't just the how does the person put on the compression sock. It's the whole issue. And I look at things like self-efficacy there, the, the, what they feel about their condition, how can they really, and trying to get solutions that, they, that realistically can manage, but also to try and prioritise who are the most at-risk patients uh, from a sort of self-management perspective. Um, because because there's also a lot of fear, and there's a lot of fear in some of these patients when they really need to be accessing the hospital and yet they don't want to um, because of their, 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 underst- they, their belief they walk through the door and they won't come out again. Um, so I think it's it's really engaging with a patient and family about what is possible. I would also have to say that sometimes it is, is hard because in lymphedema we've had to reduce the number of intensive treatments we can give simply because we cannot provide them. But the, the good side of that is that we've we've seen people using things like wraps and things that perhaps have, we haven't explored in to the same degree. So it's a mix, mix, sound really.
0: Thank you. And I'll, I'll you mentioned self-care, you know, particularly around patients with diabetic foot ulceration, foot disease. So how do you get them to invest in their self-management uh, in order to be part of you know, the multidisciplinary team, if you like?
1: Well, to be honest, uh, it's not something related only to the patient, but uh, our strategy is uh, to involve as much as possible the environment around the patient. This has always been since the beginning. Family and uh, local caregiver have been always involved in order to, I would say, uh, participate and cope with the problem, with the the, uh, very situation pandemic uh, from this point of view i would say mm, climbed on the shoulder of a, a, a method that we already had in place because being a, a central or referral uh, we cannot be in the position of following each patient uh, coming from the four corner of the world directly anytime that we want we are in a way interacting with other uh, caregivers uh, most often both uh, general practitioners or uh, visiting nurses but in any case the family and the patient itself has been involved uh, usually involved in the care with pandemic this uh, uh, became i would say a sort of uh, uh, must be uh, but um, didn't actually change very much the the um, the approach uh, we um, most uh, most often accept emergency uh, situations, see patients uh, quarterly and in the meantime we are uh, advising and uh, um, i would say planning treatment who are uh, delivered by third parties and um, with pandemic, possibly this um, this um, uh, behavior would be uh, even more um, implemented. And what we say, what we are were saying, uh, what we are seeing is that uh, instead of interacting with other caregivers or practitioners, we were most often interacting directly with the family, directly with the patient, because practitioners and nurses were most of most always or almost always uh, uh, taking care of COVID-related problems. So there was a, a more direct uh, uh, relationship, uh, and mainly via uh, telemedicine with with the patient. This was the the, the most uh, frequent situation. But I would say that this uh, um, this function this. this uh, the job was done in this way, and uh, we didn't see uh, really uh, catastrophes in 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 our in our practice. Maybe a little more uh, frequency of uh, emergency, but, but because there were no filters, no. So people that are, did not take, came did not come, as uh, as uh, Chris already said. Or if they come, they come for for real severe problems. So uh, maybe 20% more of emergencies. But in the rest of of our population, I would say, uh, things didn't change very much.
0: Thank you both. Um, So going back to the changes you both discussed as a result of the pandemic, do you think we've acquired new knowledge um, during this time? So Chris, from your point of view, what do you think?
2: Well, uh, uh, undoubtedly we have, and undoubtedly, I mean, at uh, uh, a societal level, we have. Um, there's no question. Um, I think. I think we're we're having to look more critically at our time management all the time, uh, which I think is is a good thing, um, a really really good thing. So I think there are some really um, excellent things that that has changed us. I think. For me the danger is assuming that the virtual world is the world that everybody wants to retain forever because of course logically my hospital thinks it's great I can do actually another more hours in less time because I'm not travelling and what we cannot measure and no one is really yet looking at is the societal psychosocial impact that COVID is going to have. I mean We've seen um, in our country rises in domestic violence, we've seen rises in eating disorders. So there will be an impact um, which I think is going to be is going to be decades of understanding. Um, but I absolutely agree with, with Alberta. We've seen a massive drop in actually cellulitis episodes. Uh, we've had a massive change in our prescribing of antibiotics. And um, so I think there is something, a good thing that's happened, but it's difficult sometimes to really understand what actually, um, that is actually happening. And I suppose, in a way, um, the potential danger for something like this is the prioritisation of one clinical problem with the exclusion of others. And I think that is the thing I, I am worried about, is that it's almost got, if it's not COVID, it, it's not important. And that is a very dangerous situation um, to, to be in because it prioritises a group of patients very it, it, from a very biased perspective. So we, I think, are going to have to really fight to make sure that the patients with conditions that are sidelined um, and are not done so. And I think the other thing is, I, I think it's not just hospital services. The, the problems that are faced in nursing homes are profound. Um, they are really, really profound. And the wound problems they face and the edema problems and the pressure ulcers are just hideous, frankly. So I think it's it depends really where you're looking as well in this system. Um, having said that, I see patients accessing pharmacies much more. So there is a need to 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 learn from this Um, and I suppose it's that that there is we have to say in a way the response um, for vaccine development alone shows what is possible when you are faced with a, a truly pandemic so I'm hopeful that the learning of what true collaboration can mean is not lost but that we don't end up just having that focus on that group alone because that I think would in the end disadvantage our patients
0: yeah, I think, you know, what's coming across is we all need time for reflection, to talk about what we've learned, what what went well, what didn't go so well. What we don't want is kind of investigations of why things went wrong. And that's that's unfortunately sometimes the way things go. What could we have done better? But actually just that time to sit and reflect on on those things. So, you know, Alberto, um, coming back to the question of um, do you think we've acquired new knowledge during the pandemic? your point of view
1: well yeah thanks there there have been a lot of of, uh, new uh things to to reflect on both i would say on the pandemic side but also as chris says on the on the um the, the surroundings one thing that we experienced uh, directly was that uh, <clears throat> our patient, our um, population of patients, that we <clears throat> we um, we explored, we 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 made the survey, the telephonic survey among our uh, patients, and they are uh, really more scared about diabetic food than call it. So they they are still. Um, much more uh, concerned of the possible um, critical aspects uh, or evolution of uh, their own pathology than to be uh, infected or ill by by COVID. This is something that, uh, from uh, from our point of view, was surprising because uh, if you if you listen to the media and uh, if you, as as Christine said, if you also experience in, in the everyday practice all the emphasis or the um, hype, I would say, w- w- was on on the pandemic, but this not uh, uh, actually um, change uh, the feeling these patients have of their own situation, and that's something that has been also um, referred by oncologists. Oncologists uh, reported that their own patients were still fearing and and being concerned about being affected by cancer than being exposed to the risk of having I mean, COVID. So this reinforced, in a way um, the, the the relationship, the concept that this disease is something that um, our di- disease, the basic foot, is something that goes in deep in the in the in the. In the psychology of the patient, and that they consider themselves uh, uh, a little bit like cancer patient, I would say. This is something that uh, um, was learned from us as a, an, a new, a, a new um, point of view. Another aspect that uh, also has been uh, um, revealed by by pandemic is that, uh, uh, as I mentioned before if you apply preventative measure, you can actually prevent a number of uh, possible things. Mm, I, I was uh, uh, talking about uh, multi-drug resistance infection, but uh, just to tell you, um, in 2020 and in 2021, 2020, the, the, the flu pandemic uh, has not uh, actually uh, struck People like it was the years before. We had uh, a, a, a really um, sen- uh, sensible drop in in deaths and admission because of flu in in, uh, in Italy at least, uh, and this is uh, uh, probably related to two, to two factors. One is of of course the the reduction of uh, uh, at risk people who already died because of COVID but also because the preventative measure uh, the, the the masks uh, creates uh, and the number of vaccination didn't change so probably the preventative measure the, the individual um, protective uh, devices uh, helped a lot in the flu so this is something again that stressed uh, the, the importance of uh, not waiting for the next pandemic <laughs> but Uh, implementing uh, prevention as it should be. And this is something that uh, has been learned from from our point of view.
0: Thank you. Yes, and of course, masks is such a divisive issue, you know, with those willing to wear them and those not. But perhaps we won't get into that debate now. (laughs) Okay. so um, moving forwards, um, do you have any proposals for what Yuma and other wound management organisations may do to support that new knowledge and experiences acquired during the COVID-19 pandemic, and how this may be used for future improvement of the structure and delivery of treatment and care uh, in terms of perhaps wound care, but also wider in healthcare. Uh, Christine?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the importance of um, trying to really understand the enablers and the barriers that have emerged in a, in a very, because humour is positioned as being an organisation that really can truly, as it were, synthesise from its partner organisations what's happening. And you're in a your unique position in Yuma to be able to set the European level, but of course your global uh, reach is such, where you, you I would um, suggest to you, I would, I suppose, as a researcher, recommend to you a way of trying to truly synthesise the learning so a conversation like we're having, Albert and I, is useful. But to try and um, find some way of really understanding truly what that learning is. So that's something that you will be ideally placed to be able to do. Um, and then I think it's, it, it's trying to look at how you retain that and go forward with that. I mean, it's obvious. For me, there's an obvious, there's an absolute desperate need for systems that can communicate together. The um, international telemedicine concept is, for me, critical. I'm working now with, I mean, in Denmark, but I mean, I'm collaborating in a, a European network group where we meet. But it's still quite limited the the true t- international telemedicine ca- capacity to come together. So I've, I mean, you know, being able to bring Alberta on to look at, you know, patients. So this this sense that humor is is pivotal. Because we it, it, it depends as well um, where you are in the system, doesn't it? Because uh, if you're working in a special centre, it's a very different scenario to what you find yourself in if you're working, say, in primary care, and dare I say it, in, in poor countries, where I mean the situation has been simply hideous. I mean, I work in India a lot, as you know, and for one year, the hospital I work with has been closed down. There's been no income. And uh, because these patients, I mean, they're the poorest of the poor, so we have to understand that at a global level, COVID has been has had a destructiveness that's incredible. That again, perhaps doesn't get reported, um, but you know, certainly a country like India where the lymph- lymphatic filariasis is rife, hospitals are, are are decimated. So I think it's it's it, it is looking for numerous in a pivotal position of creating that sort of international ability to synthesize we still i mean i know it's really hard but to have international systems or data systems that we could share without getting into all the fights and difficulties we have would be phenomenal so you know international registries the ability to be able to um, not have to re-create a wheel all the time when someone else has done it already it's one of my passions is why do i I still get asked, you know, people want to do something. I think but we did that 30 years ago. We've learned so much. And surely that's the sort of role that I think Yuma can have very, very centrally.
0: Thank you, Christine. Um, and your your view, Alberto?
1: Yeah, um, it's curious uh, that that you ask me this, because <laughs> that, as you know, my presidency of Yuma coincided... Uh, most uh, most uh, almost uh, um, totally with the pandemic period so i was in a in I I had a good point of observation on how uh, our association i would say react reacted and adapted to to this situation and there was a a lot of discussion inside and uh, a a number of uh, critical decisions to be be taken you know that uh, we had to uh, stop uh, the two uh, scientific meetings in a row because of of pandemic and shift it to um um, online meeting uh, and then reorganize all the network around these meetings not to not to mention the economical aspects of uh, this situation for an association like ours. So it was a very interesting, uh, I would say, also challenging period. What I get from this experience, and then uh, I, will, uh, <coughs> I will also um, give you some uh, uh, highlights on what will be, but what I get from this experience is that uh, Yuma was actually able, not only to survive, to this experience, but also to adapt and to evolute in a way to a new uh, human, if uh, you may pass me me the term. Uh, A number of uh, things that uh, was uh, considered a dogma before has been changed completely. And we moved to a much more, I would say, Articulated and flexible and integrated uh, association. This, postca- this podcast is one of the examples of this evolution. Uh, it didn't exist before, and uh, as well as webinars, as well as uh, um, online congresses that were a success. Just to mention the online meeting that we thought it was, uh, I would say, a uh, sort of uh, um, diminution of our uh, cultural uh, offering uh, proved to be a success. We were followed up by people that, uh, in, in other situations, could mm, uh, afford to, to, to attend the meeting. Coming to what uh, uh, Chris was saying before, which I uh, completely agree, uh, that the online cultural activities of Yuma offers to actually offers to the possibility to um, poor countries uh, uh, um, professional to attend and to participate and also to uh, i would say uh, give inputs to uh, uh, to the uh, real life of the association last week i was uh, participating in the first uh, libyan uh diabetic food conference w- which was endorsed by you mine and promoted by you so it's been something that uh, from my point of view uh gave a shake to 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 the association and the, the association responded well from my point of view what is what i foresee for the future i'm at the uh, i i've termed by my period as president and i am past president but what I foresee for the future is that uh, uh, um, uh, closer integration, a greater integration with international big societies is, is just around the corner. We, <clears throat> we are already uh, linked with uh, Wound Australia and the Association for the Advancement of Wound Care in UK, in uh, USA, and there is uh, uh, another association which is the Association for Link Preservation. Which uh, is asking us to, par- to be a partner, the Wound Dealing Society. So, this, this uh, uh, is happening, and this has been also fastened by, by the, the pandemic, um, because uh, I can see Yuma as uh, um, the common place for any uh, subject that wants to be a partner in, 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 in wound care and i look at yuma like uh, a sort of uh, uh, ecumenic (laughs) uh, uh, association and this is something that has been actually prompted by by the pandemic so in this uh, pessimistic uh, scenario i'm optimistic for yuma because is the association who proved to be strong enough and uh, alive enough to survive and evolute.
0: Thank you, Alberta. Yes, and, you know, obviously Yuma is celebrating its 30-year anniversary, so it's a well-established association. As you say, it's now got widening international links and it's opening up opportunities for resource-poor countries, as you said, Christine, to access education. Uh, Thank you very much for your insights, Professor Piagese and Professor Moffat. You have been listening to the third episode of the Yuma podcast series three, focusing on 30 years of the European Wound Management Association. Our next podcast episode will examine the goals and challenges of wound education in the last 30 years. Our guests will be Sebastian Probst and Madeline Flanagan. Don't forget that you can listen to our previous podcast episodes by visiting our website, www.yuma.org. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, do not forget to like and share it with your colleagues. We also hope to see you at the Yuma conference on the 1st to the 3rd of February 2022 in Paris, France. Until next time, thank you for listening.